Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something. I, um, you know, I always like to go food shopping. And, and I have a question for grocery stores. I always want a small onion. And it seems you can never get a small onion. Whenever you go, there's a bunch of big onions. Whether it be red, yellow, or white. And the only small onions are in bags of onions. And I don't know anyone who actually, unless you're a big family, buys a bag of onions. Then you want a bunch of big onions. So to Ralph's and Sprouts and Trader Joe's out there, when you're making your onions, get me some, uh, skip some single small onions. Because, you know, me and Joanne don't go through that many onions. I can use it. So that's all I'm going to say. Anyway, we have a great show. We have a very, very funny guy. Uh, very funny. I'm glad I, we got in touch. I got in touch with you a while ago, and we never hooked it up. And You're a hard man to get a hold of, Stephen. Be honest, okay? You? No, you are, my friend. Well, maybe it's me. But maybe, it's... maybe you're right. But I'm very excited to be here on Onion Talk. I, uh, exactly. I've been wanting to do this show ever <laughs> since uh, I've been to Visalia, and now finally here in Burbank, we can do Onion Talk. Exactly. Now, do, do you shop a lot? Do you go shopping? Oh, of course I go shopping. You know, I just read, this is very interesting, uh, the best time to buy meat is at night, because that's the best value of course the best time to beat your meat is in the morning exactly thank you that's what we're saying <laughs> i just snuck a joke in that's all right <coughs> so you know it's for some reason you know i i've known for your career for a long time and i always thought you were like a midwest guy i didn't know you grew up out here i thought you were because i think when i started doing stand-up years ago i i was assuming zanies and zany when they're not even spelled like the club zanies in chicago is not spelled the same way you spell your well name. i think they spell it plural uh, well, I, actually, I get that all the time. In fact, I, recently I had this one really large press come up to me and said, hey, I've been to your club in Chicago. I said, well, that's not really my club, but I've been to yours, Hooters. Yep. There you go. <laughs> it's just perception. But uh, actually, I grew up, uh, I was born in uh, San Gabriel, the city of San Gabriel, which here's a fun fact, Steve, and you may not know this. San Gabriel actually was the Patton Ranch, George Patton. Their family owned all that land and it became the city. And I grew up, uh, well, actually, five years in El Monte, okay. which is the mountain in Espanol. Muchas gracias, mi amigo. And then West Covina, where I went to uh, my formative years. I graduated from West Covina High in 79. Now, did you always want to do comedy? Were you, were you a young, were you, when you were young, did you, did you study comedy? Or did you, I mean, what made you get into this business? I mean, well, it must be living out here must be, make it easier to do something like that because you're in... You know. Well, living out here is one thing, but uh, growing up in West Covina, you're kind of far away from the Hollywood lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a suburb. It's like in the, being in the Midwest. That's probably why you think I'm from there. But uh, it's interesting. Uh, I was hit by a truck when I was two, so I shouldn't be sitting here right now. No, you know, I've you, had you, 50 bonus years as I look at it. No, is that, you're not making this? This is a, a true story, and How I was wrapped happen? up like a mummy. <coughs> Excuse me. My mom told me I came home from the hospital, and I'm sitting in front of the TV watching Jackie Gleason laughing. So maybe... Somehow, it's Jackie's fault. And you know what? Who doesn't blame Jackie Gleason? I know I do. But yeah, I started when I was 15, actually. I started auditioning for the Gong Show right here in Burbank. uh, Actually, it was in Hollywood, but it was taped at uh, NBC Studios. And I got it like three days after my birthday when I turned 16. So that was my first showbiz ever. I never performed in front of an audience. I said, why not start on national TV? So what made you gravitate towards the Gong Show? And what was your act? Uh, my act was uh, horrible. I re- I was actually the first alternative comedian. That's how I like to look at it. I actually read my jokes from a piece of paper. They were fictitious uh, groups of the popular songs of the day. And one of the jokes I did was, it feels like the first time, and I said, by the virgins. Well, not only is this my first shot of show business, this is my first shot at censorship. I, I'll never forget this. I had the producer and the censor, and they're going, you can't say virgins on national Isn't TV. Isn't that crazy how much it's changed? Now, yeah. you, now you can see Dennis Franz's ass 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, but it was like a big fight, and they said, well, can you switch it to maidens? And I said, no. I stuck to my guns because I didn't really know what a maiden was. I was 15. <laughs> so, and then, then they huddled and stuff, and then all of a sudden, I said, don't worry about it. And I finally got on the fifth show, and I didn't even think I was going to get on. They threw me out there, uh, not doing well. And then I get pulled off stage by a man dressed like a nun with a big net. And that was my introduction to show business. But I knew then I wanted to do it because I got paid. I got after scale, $125.98, because it, if you got gonged, you got nothing. But they consider that a specialty act. Okay, so so the the net, you get paid. The gong, gong nothing. nothing. Oh, you what, got nothing. And what, plus, if, what if you get the big hook? That, that was probably a specialty act, too. 
That's because they, it was extra humiliation. It wasn't called the Hook Show. It was called the Kong Show. Right. right? And the really cool thing was that uh, my judges were uh, J.P. Morgan, of course, uh, Pat Paulson, who like five years later I opened for in Bakersfield, completely forgot he was my judge, and Pearl Bailey. So if, the, if, if you're a fan of the Kevin Bacon number uh, system, I'm two to Pearl Bailey, or one to Pearl Bailey. That's How about insane. that? I know. And Pat Paulson, you're right there. So you, you know, he ran for president. He ran for president, and I got to work with him and, and meet him over the years, and we talked about it, and he was a really nice man. So when you when you did the gong show, you said you were 16. Yep, just turned 16. So you like were in Three high days school. later. Yep. You were in high school. Now, were you like all of a sudden like, Everyone's like, oh, my God, he was on TV? Or how did people react to that? Uh, I think it was mixed. I remember the school paper did a story, uh, and the, the title was Bob's Net Profits. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> I also got a, a waffle iron, and my, my parents were really pissed because we were a pancake family. There you go. But that's just business. <laughs> but anyway, that was my first one, and I did a lot of uh, shows in high school. I hosted, like, the dating game, and I even did my own gong show for the Letterman's Club. And then I started going to talent contests throughout the San Gabriel Valley, and that's how I started getting my stage time. And then, of course, uh, after graduating from high school, I moved to, to Studio City, became a messenger, and started playing the comedy store, and uh, became a Monday night regular, which meant... I only got a spot on Monday night. So you were whole, this whole time you were writing material. You were getting, you were honing your act. Yes, I was, and I've actually, you know, when I was a messenger, I did it for three years. I delivered to every studio, every TV station, every radio station in this town, and I've appeared on almost every one of them. Did a TV, a film, or a movie, or something there. So that's kind of cool. So you're doing that. You're getting to LA, and I mean, it's back then. I mean, this is what you're. This is 1981 is when I moved from the house officially, and I'm the, and you know, it's real, I have two brothers and a sister, and I'm the favorite, so you can imagine what fuck-ups they are. Right. <laughs> but uh, only because I'm the only one who moved away and never came back, so I think that's why. Well, let's, so you move out here, and, and you're, who were some of the people that were on getting on stage at that time? Uh, I started out with a lot of great people. Sam Kinison, uh, he used to run the Westwood Comedy Store. Fritz Coleman, who I just had on my podcast. He was had, on my show. He's, yeah. he's the skinniest man alive. Yeah, he is. He's a great guy. And uh, I knew him. He, we used to play a place called the Deli Smoker. Now, in 1979 was the Comedy Store strike. And like three or four months later is when I started going to the Comedy Store. But they had a place called the Deli Smoker in Sherman Oaks, Van Nuys and Ventura Boulevard. And that's where I met Fritz. And we would just get on stage in front of like three people and just for stage time you, you loved it you knew this is your oh calling. Well, I, I knew it was my calling and i and i i lucked out very early on because fraser smith who's a, a good friend of mine i actually have been doing his he's back on radio at klos now. sundays right sundays and i've been doing every week with him but uh he's he hired me to write and he said well you do a call-in i said sure i'll do a call-in and i started doing a call-in as his dumb brother and it, it kicked it just took off and program director at the time, Tommy Hadges at KLOS, he became a big-time consultant. He said he was going through the Us Festival. Do you remember the Us Festival? I didn't live out here, but people told me the story. Like, it was just... Was that with like Aerosmith and and Guns? Yeah, and it was kind of like a the, like Woodstock. Tr- of- yeah, they're trying to do Woodstock with it. It was a big deal. But the program director told me he was walking through the crowd and people were yelling my name. So he said, "Well, I got to hire you." So I got hired. So I got to leave ABC Messenger Service to go to ABC Broadcasting, which was kind of cool. That must have been great, though, because you, you, that came out of nowhere somewhat. It came out of nowhere. I actually studied radio and TV broadcasting at uh, Mount San Antonio College in Walnut. And I did three semesters, and I quit college because they wouldn't let me read the news on the college radio station. And I took all the classes, and I got an FCC license. I did everything you're supposed to do. I said, you know, this is kind of why I'm here. And then I said, well, forget that. So then I left West Covina, and that's when I moved to uh, Studio City, and, and the rest is history. What? Now I'm on the Stephen Cooper show. Cooper Talk. Cooper Talk. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't. That's all right. <laughs> St- I have, my brother's name Stephen, so Steve. Is, yeah. is, he, is he a PH or a V? No, he's a V. Okay, I'm a V, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I didn't want to say anything. That's all right. You know, it's it's v's. really we're, none we're, of my we're business. Shipped. Yes, V's are <laughs> as PHs. Now, now we're, we're going to, the baby. Bay, bay. When did that come into your act? I started doing it in the uh, uh, early 80s. I, was do- I went up with my cigar, and I was going baby, and I was doing it like a, it was a, a paying homage to the old-time comics. And it's really interesting. I was very fortunate. For two years, I got to work with Rodney Dangerfield, and I booked his clubs. I was on his HBO special, and uh, I, he used to live at the Beverly Hilton. And I went by one day, and he showed me old Ed Sullivan's when he started doing his thing, and he started saying, no respect. And it was like half-hearted. He wasn't into it yet. You, you know, obviously, it, it became the most right. famous thing ever. 
And uh, so the same way with the baby, it was just like I was throw, it was a throwaway. And then it just became, bay, bay. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't do it. I, I mean, I do it in my act like four or five times, but it's not like, it's not the make or break thing. It's just for people who are fans. Now, the cigars, were you always a cigar smoker? Or, no. Or how'd that, how'd that come up in your act? Because I, I read somewhere where you would sell like a cigar it was the Bob Zaney Fun Pack? The Bob Zaney Fun Pack, it actually was a cigar, some bumper stickers. One said, cars don't cause accidents. People who slow down to look at accidents do, which is one of my favorite bumper stickers. And my other one was, preserve the American dream, don't wake up. <laughs> but uh, and in it was a, a VHS tape called Bob Zaney Bootleg, and who you've had on the show, the producer of that was Jordan Brady. Okay. That was one of our first ventures together. Jordan, uh, we just did a live Cooper Talk. And it bobs a special. Oh, I'm taped. I'm sorry. I, I, maybe one day I'll I'll no, make the live. I'm no, kidding. We, I know we did it, and no one showed up. But yeah. I was like, because I, I did three of them, and I one was with John Kapalos, one was with Kathleen Wilhoit, and then I said, oh, Jordan will come down. I thought, you know, because I know a lot of younger comics. And right. I thought I, Jordan's going to be a draw. You know, I am. And then we're sitting there, and uh, my girlfriend and someone else showed up, but we had fun. You <laughs> know, it doesn't counts. matter. You, you you have to give things a shot. You never know what's going to happen. And if you really think that it's always going to be successful, then you might as well just get out of the business. Oh, no, no exactly. And it's so funny because you've been in the business for a long time, and I, I always laugh at people who we always say came out. I mean, I got out of the business for a long time and got back into it. But I always crack up for people who come out like to L.A. and they give it like a year, yeah. and then they go. This sucks. Yeah. This town sucks. This town's crap. And what always cracks me up is these people don't understand. They go, oh, well, this person got a break because they know him. That happens in every business. That's why they have family businesses. That's why frat brothers hire their frat brothers. Right. It's, it's not only comedy. It's every business. And it's like you're delusional because most of them aren't even talented. That's well, the worst thing. Well, I think, you know, parents, I mean, kids of famous parents have it tougher. The door is open for them. But it's up to them to get inside the door and stay there. And that's not always as easy for someone. But it is. It's who you know. But it's also, you still got to deliver the job. Right. You know, obviously, there's always going to be one chumley at Pawn Stars, and the rest of them actually know what they're doing. You know? We all have that person in our that, family. That's, but that, that's everything. That's the funny and thing. It's and, the whole, and, the whole and world. you know, because you've been in the business for a long time, and you know a lot of people. And any, any, but any business, anything in life, you deal with that. You do. I mean, look at the idiot when you go to like, you know, when you're growing up in the nice, the cool store and, you, yeah. you know, the furniture store and you're like, oh, that's be a cool job. And then like the idiot's working there who's the owner's son. You're like, this guy's an idiot. But you go, but oh, he's one of. Well, you know, what? I don't think there's anything wrong with nepotism. I mean, look at Jesus. His dad got him the job. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, what? I, I, look, I'm going to have to answer for a lot of things I've said in my life. I'm done. And I think God's going to like that one. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, so. that's a great joke. Yeah, it's I mean, a great he, joke. He would be upset. Why? Why would he be angry? It's true. It's very funny. His true. dad is running out on the job. How'd you come up with the name Bob Zane? You know, I was in high school. I was watching a Chevy Chase was doing a commercial for Saturday Night Live. They actually came out with an album, and he was like uh, hawking it. And he said, "Hi, I'm that zany, lovable character from Saturday Night Live." And I went, "Zany, that's cool." So I went to school. My friend Dave Miller sat in front of me. I said, "I'm going to be Bob Zany Tetralt from now on." And he said, okay, and then it just stuck. And I was actually Bob Zaney Tetralt, which is my real last name. Tetro is the French pronunciation. Had I known that then, I probably would have kept it. But uh, I started going to the comedy store and all these little these open mic nights and places to get on stage. And the, and the MCs couldn't pronounce my last name, so they just say Bob Zaney, and I finally gave in. So you're working around here, and you're doing the radio thing. Now, when did you start branching out on the road? Because I know you, I mean, you, how long did the radio job last? That you uh, I was hired and fired twice at KLOS, uh, about three years. And at one point, um, you know, I was, I was making after minimum and only doing a sh one show a week and a bunch of call-ins during the week. So I, I remember I had to get another messenger job just to get by during that Doesn't time. Doesn't that suck? You're on the yeah, radio and you think, this is my break. And go, wait, I got I to gotta go back there? And, you know, and see, you probably leave it. It's the old story. Oh, yeah, screw you guys. I got a radio job. Hey, well, I was still on the radio. And it was funny because the guy that hired me knew who I was. He said, what are you doing here? I said, uh, I need to make a little cash. But that was my last job, Pronto Messenger Service in 1984. And then I actually created Bob Zaney's Comedy Outlets where uh, I produced the shows and I would hire comedians. And at the point, I got up to like 30 a week I was hiring. So a lot of these guys who are now established and are stars and, you know, became writers and producers, they all actually started out working for me. And I, I forget about it until I have them on my podcast and they say, you know, Bob, you paid my rent for a long time. I want to thank you for that. And I always like to say thank you for not doing nothing for right. me. <laughs> so now how did how did you come up with the idea to do that? I mean, were, was it... 
you're a business mind, or do you say, I'm, you know, I need to do this because I don't want a message? Or how did you come up with the idea well, for the zany? Best way to it? get on stage is if you're the one booking the room. That's how I did. I started doing shows at the Ice House in Pasadena, and I invited everybody from high school. And there was like 400 in my senior class alone, so I could sell out these rooms. And at the time, I had a bunch of great comedians who were part of the show. Uh, Gary Shanley was on one of them, Kevin Nealon, Yakov Smirnoff. Yakov just did my podcast. He looks great, by the way. I just ran into him. I was on uh, the Storyworthy podcast with Chris, uh, Christine Black. Uh, I can't believe Christine Blackburn and Hannes Finney, and he was the guest after me. And yeah. I was like, he does. He looks amazing. He I'm looks like- fantastic. He's a great guy, too. And I remind him of a story uh, back uh, in, when I started out, we first started sending out cassette tapes of I- your act. And then a VHS came along. And the Bob Zaney shows, my uh, Nia Peoples, I went to high school with Nia. Her dad would videotape. You know Nia, is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. She would. Uh, so her dad would videotape the shows way before anybody was doing it. So I remember driving over to uh, Hollywood. He lived up uh, the the hill of the Comedy Store. Had two Mercedes, and I brought him a VHS tape of his act, and we talked about that on the air. During See, the that's show. cool. I mean, it's so cool. So you were doing that. So now I know. At what point do you say I really got to hone my act and go on the road? I mean, did you sit there and get tired of just being in this area, or did you just did you want to travel? No, I, I I would always go out once or twice a month, but I had my business, and one of the reasons I created this booking business was I could stay in town, and because of that, I got to do a lot of TV and not miss out on things, and then that business in the early 90s because california was going through that recession the first thing they got rid of was the comedy shows so i had to go on the road and since probably like 92 i've been on the road 48 weeks out of the year well what's amazing about those comedy shows is i mean i remember back in the day it was uh comedy on the road a and e evening at the improv i did that i did seven of them i did seven uh evening at the improvs two comedy on the roads one was in hawaii with john biner and my wife erin o'connor who's my co-host uh, we did that, and also I did one in Houston, Texas. I mean, I did all the shows. MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour just had Mario Joyner on the show. He was the host, and I was just watching the old tape. Man, boy, we looked good back then. Well, you know what's funny? They're, it's, they're so cut up weird, those MTV, the Half Hour Comedy Hour. Like, they wouldn't do a full set. Yeah. And there was something I was watching. It was on TV, and I had John Manfrelati on the show. Yeah. And he was like... Billy M. Cornell was bringing John Manfrelotti, but it was in a Louis C.K. episode, and I yeah. just had John on the show, and I'm like, man, it was just so funny, because all those guys, right. you would, you would you, I mean, I had just started doing comedy, but we knew all of you, acts yeah. because you were, you could see you all the time, and A&E would just sit there and play you guys over, over and, and over. over. Now, did that start affecting you as you performed on the road, because people had some, they'd see you so much? Yeah, it helped out uh, tremendously. The Rodney Dangerfield special was a really big deal when I did that HBO special, the, uh, the, the recognition alone was uh, was amazing. Now, who was on the, what year was that? Who was, who was it? It was that? the very last one he did. Uh, Sid Youngers was on, and he was a comedian who went on to become a producer, writer for uh, Two and a Half Men and Roseanne and a bunch of great shows, Dharma and Greg. Uh, Harry Basil, who is now not only a great comic, but he's one of the owners of the Laugh Factory in right. Las Vegas. You Fink. Emmy-winning writer, one of my best friends. He was in my wedding from Saturday Night Live, and uh, Dave Tyree. Okay, so it was. was, I I I remember those HBO specials were were big. I mean, everyone everyone watched them. So now you used to be a little heavier. Yeah. Now were you heavy as a kid, or was that just from life? I've been up and down. I've lost more pounds than the London Stock Exchange. (laughs) Um, yeah, and I used to, the height I got to was like 350. So when I, you know, when you're that size, when I danced, the band skipped. Sorry. That, anyway, that's a great joke. It's an old joke. I, I know, but I, you know, old jokes. You know, there's nothing wrong with old jokes. Someone, you know, someone posted on Facebook one time going, oh, what's your view on, uh, they call them street jokes. We used to just call them stock jokes. You right. Know? And everyone's like, oh, well, if you're not original. And I'm like, hey, man, an old joke is funnier. If, if a guy could tell an old joke. That's well, funny. Well, here's my opinion on the whole thing. After 35 years of doing this, I have a lot of original material. But if you watch singers, they sing someone else's song. You know, so what's the difference? You know, funny's funny. Yeah, if it's I mean, a joke. It's I if mean, it... if your whole act is that, then you're not really an original comedian. Yeah. I mean, back years used to be comics who would just tell like the joke, and it was you sit there and they go, you go every time you know the punchline, but you just laugh just because of the way they delivered it. Right. Well, yeah, and that's the key. It's like. I, some of the best writers were not the best performers because a performer is a completely different animal than a writer. I always say that, you know, I've done, I've been fortunate. I've done movies, I've done television, I've done radio, I've done it all. And yet, what I am, 
I'm a stand-up comic. I'm a I'm a saloon comedian. I like to call myself because they always ask Sinatra, "What you know? What are you, Frank?" And Frank did everything right. He always said he was a saloon singer because he knew what his roots were. That's how he got started, and that's what he did best. Everything else, just you know, you can do it, but that's not the study is in being what you do the best. And this, you know, standing in front of a bunch of strangers, I I do very well. Now you've, you've played across the world. Uh, seven countries, all 50 states, Guam and Washington, D.C. Now, what are some of the countries you've been in? Uh, Israel, which is, I, I hear is in the news. No, I don't know. Something about, I think that's, I don't, something's I, I, going I was, on. I thought it was like a reality show or something. No, I, I think know. it could be. My favorite story is in Israel was I was in Tel Aviv, and I, have you ever been to Israel? No, but I, I know people who have. Tel Aviv is kind of like half, you feel like you're in L.A. half the time. It's really modern and, and, and really cool. But they had a place called Mike's Place, and that was the American bar. So I had a night off, and I said, well, I'm going to the American bar. I was a Cub Scout in the Weeblow for a week. I deserve this. And I go in, and the guy who's the bartender looks like a surfer from Santa Monica. And I said, hey, man, I'm from the United States. He says, yeah, uh, where are you from? I said, I'm from L.A. And he said, yeah, I've been to Louisiana. <laughs> and I thought I outed a Mossad agent. Who uses the postal code? <laughs> yeah, I've been to Louisiana. But anyway, so I've been there, Denmark, uh, London, Canada, Mexico, those always, you know. Now, how does your act translate in London? Because I've heard sometimes American acts have a harder time in London. I actually did very, very well. I did a show called London Comedy Jam. Rick Wakeman of Yes was the host. Okay. And Wait, Rick Wakeman, because I, I saw him in the first concert. I saw Yes in yeah. the round at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Yeah. And, and I guess he, I heard he lost all his money because he put all his money into like this rock opera on ice oh really and, and like he lost all that yes money but he was he funny at all yeah i i think he's very funny he's very popular there too they really like him and so they had three english comedians and three american comedians was the theme of the show and i did my act and it went very well and i'll never forget afterwards one of the english comedians came up to me and said god no one's doing your style here i'm going to be doing it next week <laughs> and i went i guess i'm not going to stop you how would you how would you describe your style it's always because people are say the comics well it's your thing how, how would you describe your style uh it's old school meets new school with a back to school chaser that's okay. how i yeah that's, that's pretty much description. well it's true because it's like I, I am old school but i'm i'm modern and you know i have low you know references that are you know what's the word i'm searching for i don't even know why i can't think of it you know that are current right well, but I, I also the style but no one's really doing it and I play the Laugh Factory in Hollywood all the time, and they have the young guys that go up and the young gals, and they're hilarious and they're great. And they're and you know the first time I started getting back into the system was about a year and a half ago because whenever I was on the road, the last thing I want to do was go to a club. Now I, I I go to Laugh Factory and I'd watch these guys go. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I go up and I do my thing, and it kills. And then all of a sudden, the young people are going, "Who are you? Where you come from? How are you doing?" So it's like you know what? It's what I do. And you get it or you don't. And, you know, obviously I wouldn't be making a living if I didn't get it. Now, with the Bob Zaney Fun Pack, how many cigars are you buying? How many cigars would you be buying a year? Oh, would, lots. Would it- you, know, I got, you know, what happened was, first I had an actual real cigar, the Dutch Master Pantella, Pantel whatever you want to pronounce it. You get it at your available Walgreens. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. yeah the, and like the, and the I box. put him in there, and I remember this dad bought it. He says, I'm going to give this to my eight-year-old kid. And I went, no, I don't want to be part of this. You're going to give a kid tobacco. So then I switched it to a plastic cigar. And then the little tip, they were made in China. What are the odds? By the way, I just found out that some of my pencils were made in China because I found lead in them. Anyway, so... I'm just going to sneak jokes in. Really, it's up to you to find them, Cooper Talk. I, I love them. I, okay. love, I love it because, no, as I said, it's a funny thing because I always, I always would tell comics, you know, when I first started doing it, I had comics on, and a few of them, not many of them would just come on, and they just do bits the whole time. Yeah. And I was new, and I was like, well, you know, this comic's been on the Tonight Show. I, I can't interrupt. But now it's like, I love what I say. I love when I have bits. It's not like I'm sitting there going, okay, you didn't bring me a uh, resume and go, okay, well, this is a joke. I'm going to just set it up. Because that's not that's not talking. That's not, and I've heard, I've heard your podcast, I, I, and your podcast isn't like that. No, it's you just- You like to talk. I like- Jordan Brady always tries to tell jokes. I had to tell Jordan to shut up. No, yeah. I'm joking. Well, no, you sprinkle them in. You don't, yeah. it, it doesn't, it is a conversation it's like whatever comes to mind it's like two guys talking obviously this one's not working out but we'll give it a shot okay cooper talk no but i don't even know where i was at. oh so the plastic cigar the little white cap would come off and then i thought someone's going to choke so that's when i stopped doing it all together and just 
went with a CD. I actually have a record album I recorded at the Ice House in Pasadena. Hi, Home, I'm Honey, in 1985, that came out on Laugh Records. And I'll never forget uh, the guy that ran the company at the time. He said, you know, I, I picked you over Weird Al Yankovic. Boy, and then they went under. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, you know what's amazing is, and you know, because you've been in the row for a long time, and I remember back in Philadelphia, back in like 90, the only person who sold merch was a guy named Big Daddy Graham, mm-hmm. and he was an act. But back in the day, no one really sold. When, when did you start selling? Were you one of the innovators of selling merch? Because no one sold, C- well, there wasn't CDs back then, but he would. Sell, I remember he would sell albums, and all us young comics were like, you know, what was he doing? And now I hear people like they go to shows and and they have the whole a yard sale. The whole yeah, it's like I have a business, yard sale. Sure. I mean, so I mean, when did you start selling? I merch? started doing it probably in the early nineties, and I did start out with the plastic cigar and just to see what right, would that happen. Was, that was just that's a fun thing though. It's a thing. It's, it's not like a, you're, yeah, it's like a, and it was also a reminder that they saw me or whatever because it said it's just business, baby. Was the little wrapper around it, and then I I went to the uh, videotape and the bumper stickers, and then I have a line of T-shirts. I've done probably about twenty different T-shirts. The two that have survived is uh, "Wake Me If You're Horny." And, and I guarantee, Steve, you wear that to bed, you're getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> and the one that's really changed America, uh, eat salmon, the other pink meat. That's, that's great. And that's all available at bobzany.com. But that shirt, was tr- the pork industry tried to shut it down. I get a, a cease and you're, desist no, you're, letter. You're being serious. I'm being I'm oh, I completely serious. Cease and desist letter from an attorney in Dallas. And, you know, it was very popular on Bob and Tom's show because I got to advertise it there. They weren't on in Dallas. So I had to hire an attorney to fight this back and forth and found out she thought I was a meat company. She didn't even get the joke. So anyway, the point is, uh, it survived. They didn't. That pork industry got rid of that slogan, but it's still a very popular shirt. Don't you hate when? I mean, that's they're great slogans. Don't you hate when like companies, like big companies, come out with uh, like just awful slogans? Like a few years, I think it was Coke or Pepsi doing a Super Bowl. It's like bubbling brown or just something where you sit there and go you're paying millions right. of these ads and you come up with that which is the most disgusting campaign yeah and they probably had a focus group and a bunch of people said yeah that's great bubbling brown i like a little bubbling brown i like uh capital one and what's in your wallet i like to say an unused condom from 1985 see that's that that would get more advertising for them so that, that yeah. they probably sue you though they go no, i don't know. know i did a joke i think it was on the tonight show i said uh uh, a new study has found that uh, 48% of people say they can communicate with the dead. The other 52% switch back to AT&T. And I always thought that, you know, that would be like, you know, AT&T would catch on and say, let's make a campaign. Nothing. That's crazy. Now, when was the first time you did The Tonight Show? I did it in 97, and it was the last time I did The Tonight Show. Now, it went very, very well. Was it Leno? Was Leno on It was Leno, yeah. And I, I know Jay over the years. I got real, real close to getting on with Johnny in 92, because Ed McMahon, I was on Star Search. I got to the semifinals. Ed and I became really good friends, and uh, he tried to get me on the show at the last six months of it. He actually sent a messenger to come pick up the tape to audition, and uh, I couldn't get on because, you know, everybody in the world wanted, you know, Bette Midler wanted right. to get on, and I got bumped by Bette. Well, I had such because someone good to get bumped by. Yeah. You know? I, I just say that. I don't know who no, I got bumped no. by. You got bumped but, by Betty Ford. Betty Ford. <laughs> well, you know, and she <laughs> was drinking again. Exactly. And, so there you, you know, go. <laughs> that's a really good guess when they're drinking again. Now, how did you become friends with Ed? Just from the show? Because he just, he seems like, the guy had his hand in everything. Like, well, you know what? I did the Jerry Lewis Telethon for 17 years. I did a spot, and I co-hosted for about eight of those years, and... They gave me, for whatever reason, the spot right before midnight when I'd go out and do my set, and Ed would still be there, and he would stand off to the side, and for those eight minutes, I got to be Johnny Carson. And I always did a different little sketch within my monologue, and and Ed would play along and stuff. And it's actually, I have a documentary about my career. It's called Close But No Cigar. Go to bobzany.com. You click over to closebutnosigarmovie.com, and you can see there's a sketch from the telethon. We do a big chunk about the telethon because Jerry Lewis was, you know, I mean, I 17 years is a pretty long time. And people say, well, when did you last not do it? And I said, well, when that other guy wasn't there anymore. So your documentary, let's talk about that. Now you know, you were you were also you were in I am comic though right I I am in I am comic yes in fact uh, that scene was put on Funny or Die and it got a ninety eight percent funny rating so that was kind of cool that's excellent so how did you come up with the idea to do a documentary was it something that was in your back of your mind for a long time or you just said okay I've been on the road you've been in I mean, you were in the informant which was there was a was, lot of comics in that and there yeah. was was that a 
The director was Soderberg. Steven Soderberg's director. And my scenes were all with Matt Damon. I played his attorney, which is really cool. I mean, we had, you know, we'd be hanging out in the office by ourselves while they filmed from outside the window. And he's a really great guy. Now, is Soderberg a comic? Because I know, I'm not I think he's, because I know Alan Havy's in it. I know Paula Tompkins is in it. Uh, there's, uh, there's Tom Papa was in it. He was in one of my scenes. Rick Uberton, another scene. Uh, Tommy Smothers and Dick Smothers were both in it. A lot of comedians. It was. I think he's a fan of comics. And I remember the audition process. I hadn't gone out on audition I don't know how long. And uh, so I said, I'll put on the monkey suit and I'll go down to Warner Brothers and I'll audition. And I did. And the, the, the casting lady, she said, um, okay, that was good. Would you mind reading another part? I said, fine. So I leave the room to go over my lines and Kathleen Madigan's coming in, who's a friend of mine. And then I go back and I read again. And she goes, well, thank you very much. And, you know, I've been on countless auditions you just go okay you're done and we'll see what happens then i get the part but i didn't get the, the part the two i read that just gave me another part and then i'm on the set and i'm realizing i'm going well wait a second i could have done these other parts but it was cool it was a great experience yeah matt, i mean working with matt damon must have been i mean he was great you know there were one of the scenes see he played the informant so he's i'm his attorney he's telling me what he did and i'm supposed to advise him basically in the scene if he needs, needs another attorney so he gets up, and they have those little uh, mini blinds. So he starts turning them before he tells me them. And then there's a door, and then there's that mini blind is probably about four inches wide. I said, hey, Matt, wouldn't that be funny if you, you close that one too? And he said, that's a great idea. So he opens the door because they're filming from outside. He goes, hey, Stephen, Bob had this great idea. Now, in the back of my mind, I've been in this business long enough. I'm going, A, he's giving me credit, or B, if it fails... <laughs> I'm going down. Exactly. So they filmed it, but that scene didn't make it in. Well, they didn't show the little one closing, but, you know, I think funny. But he was a really great guy, and uh, in fact, he said one thing to me, and again, I don't know him. I was just working with him. He says, I like a director who, who directs me. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm a dick joke comic. Well, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, a lot of them don't want to direct me. They think I know what I'm doing. He says, I, it's, I do know what I'm doing, but I just want to get the scene right for them, and I can do it. You know, well, that was that was a really good movie. It's one of those movies that a lot of people didn't see and they should have because it's just it's a solid movie. It is, but it's also a cup of tea movie. It's right. a very smart movie. And in fact, I'll never forget. I had the script. I was performing in Tahoe, and I sat by the pool to read it, and I actually was laughing out loud. It's a it was a great script, so I had a good feeling it was going to be a great that movie. Must, that must feel good to you for have them have you come and audition for it and then to be cast in it. I mean, that's that's like a big that's a big movie. huge. And I got huge. a movie right now where Nia Peoples and I play husband and wife. With Eric Roberts, we're the stars of it called 23 Minutes of Sunrise. It's available in iTunes and in Netflix, Redbox. And uh, that, that was. Is that Redbox? It, it's in the Redbox. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to. Here's a joke. You know, I go to the porns, I go to the pink box. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Good night, everyone. <laughs> but no, I, Well, I've I, never been in a Redbox, and I have Native American blood in my, in my history. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, yeah, so that in that movie, we play husband and wife. We even have a kissing scene, which is really surreal. I mean, 30 years later from high school, she used to give me rides to school. Were you were you friendly in high school? I mean, were you, were, Yeah, we got along, and I knew she was going to be a star, and she did a couple of the Bob Zaney shows, and she would sing and you know do her thing. And I remember her at a rally once, a high school rally, and she was performing. And I'm sitting in the stands going, she's amazing, but the other kids didn't get it, you know? Either it was jealousy or they just, you know, they didn't want to, you know. But I knew she was going to be something so we both went in different directions and and uh, we both I, I, I think I've achieved some success in this business well, how'd that movie because you were with Eric Roberts who just you know, every everyone you know I'm 50 everyone remembers Eric Roberts from Papa Greenwich Village right and you, and you say to younger people I mean that's when you know when you talk about dating material if someone's doing a, a Eric Roberts from Papa Greenwich Village on that yeah. stage people aren't going to get it who are young but everyone how what was it like working with him he was great i was actually in between scenes we were filming in Sauge, illinois at a diner and we'd have to do it at night because it was taking place at night and in between scenes i'm just goofing around making everyone laugh and he comes up to me and says i would like you know i have this idea for a comedy script or a comedy monologue and i would like you to write it and and you know of course i'm thinking i'm not getting paid and <laughs> didn't really pursue it no, he was actually a great guy, too. I haven't really had any bad experiences with uh, with people in this business because I realize they're people. That's all, yeah, well, that's always that. We're all human beings. You know, we have our good days, we have our bad days. So I want to go back to the documentary. How did you come up with that idea to do that? And, I mean, what what did you sit there and say? Did you start off just an idea, and then how did you formulate it into... Well, it was a year and a half. It was a year and a half doing it. But Jordan actually did a very mini one. Uh, at the time, we had two pilots going on, and he did a mini 
version of it for me back in 91 or 92 and nothing happened with that but i have all these tapes of all these tv shows i literally have been on a thousand tv shows not to mention i have two thousand live performance tapes that i've kept for whatever reason Did you, are you one of those guys who always tape the shows no not all not at all i was just like if someone taped it i would say can i get a copy and then i would you throw it in the, i never look at it you know and and it started i said you know this stuff is going to disintegrate i should somehow you know have some posterity going on here and you know what i, I i'm 52 and we did this about three or four years ago with the documentary. So now my feeling is it was like a halfway point in my career. The next one, I want to do one more documentary, and it's going to be called Cigar. That means I made it. There you go. <laughs> but Close But No Cigar, of course, was a metaphor with the cigar in my act and all that stuff. So, I mean, what does uh, what does this cover your career? Is it the, yeah, following you on the road, or is it a lot of stock footage, or what is it? Yeah, it's uh, well, it opens up with uh, The Gong Show. Okay. Which basically is surreal whenever I watch it. I go, really? Was that me? Isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah. you think about it. It's so long ago. And and the funny thing is, the gong show is so big. I mean, everyone I know, when we're close to the same age, we all love Gene Gene, the dancing machine. Oh, and, I've uh, got an autograph hat. So yeah, and you can call me, but it doesn't have to call me yeah. Larry. And yeah. that stuff, or Ray J. But No, that show, I think 40 and, and uh, up all remember that show. You know, it was really funny. When I first started out, that was my only TV credit. And I would say say that and people would just stare going why would you bring that up now i bring it up it gets a round of applause because people just can't believe it so it's just things take time you know it's kind of like judging a president it takes 50 years before they exactly. really realize you know hey he was a good president so you start you start with the gong show and you just follow the we and then we go into the the, the underlying premise the subplot basically was i've never had an hour special so I'm in search of my hour special. That, well, I think that doesn't make sense, though. It doesn't, because I, I, I'd literally done probably 500 national shows just doing stand-up in six, seven-minute chunks. So, And we get the hour special in Galesburg, Illinois. And uh, I don't know why I picked Galesburg, but I'd done a theater show there, and I loved the town. And it's, I don't know, remind me of like, the Civil War for whatever reason. And so we do this thing, and uh, one of the things we did was Bob Zaney Parade. And, and you can't write this. Okay, the day of my parade, it rains. So they're talking, I'm talking, I'm going, it's rained on my parade. You can't write that. And it's, it's a very funny scene because the people had floats and they came out of a horse. It was great. See, that's so cool. That's a, now, the, we had talked about the weight loss. What Was that, what, did that affect your act when you did it? Cause, or did you? Yeah, I mean, people, I, when I, was, I became very successful as a 350-pound comic. I did a movie with Linda Blair and Murray Langston, the unknown comic, called Up Your Alley, and I played a homeless guy on the streets. And I did a bunch of TV. Chris Beard hired me all the time, George Slaughter, all this, and I lost all this weight. Was there a, did, was it for health reasons or did you just I say, was just depressed I wanted to do it and I, I decided to do it so I did it and uh, I mean I had my first TV show ever at uh, after losing the weight was MTV half hour comedy hour and I had to cancel a week at the improv in Dallas or something and they were mad at me I said hey I got to get tape here I don't have any tape so this was my opportunity but um, yeah and uh, I mean some producers say well Bob's in he's not funny because he's not fat anymore and it was really interesting. That's why I always, you know, like people like Louis Anderson, who's a friend, and comedians who became famous for their size, were afraid to lose that as if that's they're not funny still. And that's just not true. It's a prop. Right. I, You know, it wasn't hard getting rid of the fat jokes. What was hard was getting rid of the references to being a fat person. It took me a year to get my head together. Now, how did you go about losing the weight? Did, was Diet it? and exercise, but people don't believe that. So after the show, uh, Coop, I, I sell a pill. Okay. It's magical. It looks like a Tic Tac in a Ziploc bag. You know, it's funny. I was watching Shark Tank, and the guy basically had a story like that about his project where he was saying, okay, here's you take this, and they're like, is this tested? No. What are your and Mark Cuban just like you're a, you're a, you're a carnival shuckster. He's like, yeah. come on. But you know, half of any product is carnival shuckster. Yeah. I actually have my my 27th pilot I've done. I've done 27 pilots in this in this business. I play the king of infomercials, Big Bobby Bum. And uh, you know, I'm a hustler and it's great they 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 me look very young doing commercials and then at my age now and stuff. So we're waiting to find out about that. Now, who did did someone approach you for that, or did you audition for that, or was it? No, I idea? didn't have. To, that was the beauty of the whole new business model. What's going on? Uh, Annie Biggs is the producer of this, and she saw me on YouTube, and she said, "You're the guy." 
That must make you feel good, though. Yeah, I didn't have to audition. It made me feel a lot better. What about Joe Dirt? You were in Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, I play man number uh, one, but people who saw the performance thought I was number two. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's what a film to be part of because people just react. I mean, I have people coming to my shows bringing Joe Dirt DVDs to autograph, so it's kind of cool. It's amazing how some of these shows, people, you know, just they, they remember certain roles. Yeah, and then it's like with like Seinfeld, you know, people who are on different episodes of Family. People go, oh, yeah, you played right. Joe Mayo or something like that. Well, I have had Danny Woodburn on my show, who used to work for me in the early days. I used to book him as a comic, and he played Mickey on Seinfeld. I've been talking to him about getting him on the show. Yeah, he's a great interview, and he's a really great guy. And he's a Philadelphia guy, and he went to. Temple. Well, let's not push it. Okay, I, no, I'm West Coast. Okay, East Coast. Hey, come on, come this. Hey, Biggie Smalls is yeah, exactly. I'm Tupac. <laughs> So, so what about the, what's this contest that's going on? It's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, the Laugh Factory is trying to create the world's funniest person. And Jamie Masada, the owner, approached me and said, Buddy, you should get people to vote for you. You're very funny. I'm doing my Jamie Masada. And I said, okay, whatever. And so I put up on my website, and, I've, and I do a lot of radio call-ins. Like today I did 13. I, every week I do. And... Uh, I promote things. So I've been kind of mentioning stuff. So about a week ago, I'm at the Laugh Factory, and, and Jamie mentioned, you're in the top four, buddy. And I went, what? So now I'm pushing it. And it's real easy. If you go to bobzaney.com and you just click over to Laugh Factory, there's a little click thing, and then boom, the form comes up. Put in your email address and my name, because I think if you put anybody else's name, it would be counterproductive of the contest exactly. for me. <laughs> Bob Zaney, there's no E, and we'll see what happens. So now, now, it goes till August 15th. Now, what's the uh, grand prize? The, well, then you get to compete with the world, and I, I, I think I have a good shot at it. I'm just worried about this guy in Zimbabwe, because yeah. he does this bit about not eating, so he might get the sympathy vote. <laughs> I'm not a, sure. Those Ebola jokes we're coming yeah. to. you got to watch oh, out. It's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, they just brought those two uh, Americans uh, with the Ebola virus back to U.S. soil, and uh, the Obama administration actually traded them for eight prisoners from Guantanamo Bay. So that was exciting. <laughs> a lot of good things going on in this country. So uh, do you still enjoy the road? I mean, uh, Yeah, I like it. You know, uh, I get to connect with the people. But, I, you know, I mentor a few young comedians now. And I always tell them, do you really want this? Because they have no idea. You were talking about this earlier. They have no idea what was involved to become this or whatever I am. It's just work. It's work. It's work. And it's getting on stage as much as possible. And I tell them, you're not paid to perform. Because when you start out, you're basically working for free. You're paid for everything that leads up to the performance, the right. travel, the press, the you know baggage claim, the hotels, the, the crap that goes on and on and on. Well, yeah, it's funny to say that because back in the day, there was a booker named Keith Gisser. And he was out of Ohio, and he would book these runs in the Pennsylvania, Ohio, and it was a thing. They paid okay, but you know, you would go from the way you charted it out. You'd be going from the, like past the place where you were the night before back, and so you drive oh, yeah. like, and, and that's the thing. You got paid to sit there and drive, you know, three hundred miles in one day. Once you got up on stage, it was great. But then you sit there and go, okay, I got to get up tomorrow and have to drive four hundred miles and pass the place I was just at. Right, and, and the thing is too is it's just the waiting around. I I don't care for it. I just you know I I, I just get me on stage. I'll be fine. Now, do you write a lot, or do you just? I mean, no, I write every week. I mean, I write probably twenty jokes just that are topical, and then my act. I always say it has a beginning and an end, and in the middle, I work the crowd, and I'll come up with stuff that I'll never be able to do again. So that's how it works. It's like it's interesting. I was doing a show, and I asked this guy, "What do you do?" Uh, and he says, well, I, I work at a prison in special projects. I said, what, do you do a, a presentation of Fiddler on the Roof? Do you yell at the guy, get down from the roof, the guard's going to shoot you. You know, and I, I didn't know where that came from, but it was just in the moment, you know. And that's the other thing I try to teach the, the, the you know, my mentees, I'm the mentor, and is that you have to always be in the moment. You know, we all have crap going on in our lives, but just be listening and, and be aware. It's like acting. Now, how did you uh, gravitate to getting these mentees? Not well, mentos, mentees. Well, this one kid is Carl the Card, which is a crack up that he goes by that. He's out of Des Moines, Iowa, and he's just a fan from the radio. And I've had him do a few shows, and I give him advice and, you know, tell him, you know, try this, try that. But, you know, the advice I always give is just get on stage, get on stage, get on stage. You know, maybe in five years you might know why you're standing there, and maybe in ten you might have a point of view. Now, some happen earlier than most, but, you know, like Eddie Murphy was, boom, he was right there. Chris Rock is another one. But... For every Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy, there's guys like me who had take a long time to really learn our craft. 
Now, the Zany Report is your show that's on you call in all the time i call in uh with bob and tom i've actually been doing that for 17 years now i've kind of upped the game i'm doing it like once a month now where i have a studio audience when i present the report which is kind of cool i just did it in des moines iowa at java joe's now let me tell you about java joe's now des moines is the hotbed during the uh, caucus you know for the presidential primaries and uh every you know new gingrich was there mitt romney was there uh, you name it, they've been there. I said, so I opened up the Zany Report with, if you want to lose, this is the place to go. <laughs> I did not get one person who won the election to actually stop by Java Joe's. I even have a bran muffin named after me and with my picture eating a bran muffin there. So you just, you, you write this, the Zany Report. Right. And so you call it in now, Bob and Tom. Or- Bob and Tom. And then there's, there's like 12 other markets that I call across the country from Erie, PA, Fairbanks, Alaska, I call you, into. You do Howie Naves. Do you have, do Howie oh, I do a Howie every week on the lake. I've been doing that for years. In fact, I'll be at the Improv uh, October 1 through 5 in Tahoe at Harvey's. Very cool room so you actually you have to call you, just, you can't send them an automatic because it's a conversation so that must take up a lot of time when you call with the different time zones and stuff well like i got it all figured i do in 15 minute intervals so uh like so it's this a 15 morning. minute show yeah. so. and i i love sometimes when i'm on like i'm two hours ahead so i don't have to get up so early but like here i got up at 4 a.m to get ready to start making the calls that's great though i mean it just it's and do people enjoy that i mean do, do people no they all that? hate it and they, and they just i think they listen to it no, out you, of you know what i'm sympathy. saying no do well people, of course do they do up and say god we love that report you know it's so well, yeah you you get the responses but what I, also when i go to those markets i i see that works too bob and tom is a monster i mean i we're, i've got some tour dates coming up where we play theaters thousand two thousand people and they're just rabid fans and that's you know we did a comedy central special uh, of it and that aired and also we did the las vegas uh hbo festival at caesar's palace with it so a lot of great things have come out of that now you started as we said with the gong show and you play these big theaters what do you what kind of crowd do you like performing some people like performing in front of a really big crowd or you do you like a more intimate crowd or what uh, whatever the years it doesn't matter you know I, I i like a small club you know look i can play to 20 people in a scattered room i mean uh, that's when after I lost the weight, one of the things I had to do was relearn my act, and I would go to the improv in Melrose, and they would give me spots at 115, and I'd play to like two, three people, but just to get my chops back. So I, it's easier to control a smaller crowd, but a bigger crowd's great too. You know, the most I think I've ever performed to is I opened for Rodney at uh, Bally's for 4,000 people, and that's interesting because when you tell a joke and it gets a laugh, it, it rolls. And you have to wait, and then you do another joke. Now, the podcast. How did that come? How did it come up? Well, the guy that runs the place, Darren at, at Levity, he 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 told me a great story. There's three comics that influenced him to want to get into the business, and I was one of them. He saw me in Kansas City after a show like 20 something years ago, and he said, "God, I want to get in this business," and he thanked me for that. And he he hounded me. He said, "Yeah, you got to do a podcast, you know." And it's kind of like my website. The guy that. To put it together, he kept hounding me, going, you got to have a website. I'm going, what's this website crap? What's right, that right, all right. about? BobZaney.com, Laugh Factory, check it out. You can see all the other stuff it's going big. on. It says right, as soon as you go in, right under the website works for $1.99, yeah. you have the... Uh, well, the, the GoDaddy actually sponsors my website, so $1.99 Zany is the code, and you can get like a website for a year. I'm actually setting up another website called eBayB, and that's why I'm going through my stuff in the garage. I'm going to sell it all off. You should. Can just think, because people, all your tapes... Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to actually sell things, and then I'll throw in a tape, you know, because I'm going to I'm going to cago, I'm going to keep what I want to keep. But what am I going to do with it? I have no kids. It's going to end up in a dumpster. So I might as well give it out to people. And I've given a lot of my stuff over there. I had that album I told you about, and I've given to several people. It's up in the studio at the podcast. I don't have an album anymore. Wait, oh, oh God. So wait, so you do you record at Sideshow Network? Yes, I do. I was. That's where I saw Yakov Smirnoff. Yeah, and that was Christine's show was on there. Yeah, and I remember because you were coming. I just was there on Thursday and on the. It's the it's right on the side. Line. Yeah, it's next. Right to, it's next. I think I don't know. It's because they also because they assigned the cream. Like it's so weird. They had like rock rock ones, and then yeah. they had your album. Yeah. So that'd be great. Now, do you have any of those albums left? No, I just said it. I don't have any more because I've given away. They, I remember they, they would sell like that because vinyl's coming back. Vinyl's it's coming back, now. baby. We'll figure it out. I'll find a way to get them. So, I've seen them on eBay, and they're they're very expensive. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm gonna buy crazy. my own album. My favorite story on that, though, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to an antique store, and I found my album, and it was still the same price as it was at Tower Records in 1985, $8.99. I said, "Is there a discount if you're the artist?" <laughs> and he gave me 10 percent off. 
of my own album. Now, you do the podcast with your wife. Yes. And uh, she's also a comic? She's a comic actress. She's, she's done it since that's how we met. Uh, she used to work for me, and then I asked her out, and then uh, the rest is history. And she's a very funny lady. Now, do you go on the road with her? No, we did in the beginning, but now you know she she stays home and she runs a lot of stuff that I do and uh, takes care of our dogs and cats. Do you have a lot of dogs? Dog, two dogs and uh, five cats, all rescues. Five? See, I had I had three cats, and yeah. then my me and my wife got divorced. She took one, and I had two, and then they passed after like fifteen yeah. years. I just never got another cat, but I should. But you know, yeah, it's, after once you have them for a long time, dog, you get cats are different. You can you can leave a cat alone for a while. Dogs, they have to have you know. I have to get home to them soon because she's away right now. She's away. Yeah. Now, what do you guys talk about in your podcast? And how uh, how does it, how's it acting it, with her? Is it it's just back and forth. Hello, and then we get right into it. I really. One of the keys to my podcast, what I wanted to do is have a connection with the person. There's only been two people I really didn't know, but everybody I've done something with. I've got some schedule coming up where there are people I've worked with over the years. It's just amazing. I I keep forgetting. And they'll tell me stories and they'll thank me for things that I had no idea I did. I had Alonzo Bowden. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Roy, Roy Wood Jr., who's on uh, he's Sullivan. He's on here. He's a real nice guy. Really great guy. We've worked together on the Bob and Tom tour. And and he thanked me. He says, you know, Bob, I got to do Israel because of you because you recommended me. And I said, oh, I forgot I even did that. So, you, you know, but I, I always say my career, I, ha- I can thank more comedians than producers, directors, or agents. Because comedians will recommend and be there for you, you know. Now, have you done any of the uh, performing for the troops? I haven't done that. I have. I actually was in Fort Wainwright. This is very interesting. Uh, in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, someone approached me and said, will you go talk to the Wounded Warriors? I said, I'm more than happy to do that. So I went in there, and I, I was expecting to go in, and there were going to be guys you know, in hospital beds, and I'd say hello. Well, it wasn't that at all. What happened was they set up this room where I'm supposed to go in and perform. Well, they didn't tell me that. And before I get there, they tell me, oh, we set up so you can do a little stand-up. I said, oh, okay. And then they told me what I can't say. And I said, okay. And then I did it, and it, it went really well. And the colonel who ran the base came up to me, and he said, well, they didn't tell me it was Bob Zaney. They just said it was a comic. <laughs> That's great, though. Yeah, it was. And I think it's also because, I mean, everyone knows you, and your name's also catchy. I mean, if, you're, yeah. if it was still Bob Gatrault, or however yeah. you pronounce that. Robert Tetreault is really cool. If, yeah, if well, it, I, I've played Montreal. I should go there. There, exactly. is, there is a Tetrault-ville there, by the way. There you go. Yeah. So it must be great when you have fans probably now that have watched you in the beginning, and then they bring their kids. Has that ever happened? Because like, I went to see Motley Crue a few weeks ago, and it was like, the only people over 18, I mean, were under 40, were the kids who were 18 who were the kids of the 40-year-old parents. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting you just mentioned it. Uh, I did Frazier's show in studio with him uh, about three weeks ago, and Peter Crabb, who runs the thing. I, I don't. There's stuff that I've done that I don't even remember. He shows me a photo of Frazier and me with Motley Crue in 1983 at the Roxy. I'm standing next to Tommy Lee. I'm, I mean, his penis could have touched me, but then again, he could have touched you know five people yeah. down. But I, I, you know, you you just don't know what you've done in this business. And yeah, I have that. And one of my there's a comedian. His name is uh, Flip Schultz. And uh, hey, Flip, he does yeah. two characters. Yeah, and he it's very interesting. He came up to me. He opened for me somewhere in Florida. I think West Palm, and he showed me a photo of him 12 meeting me at the improv in Las Vegas. He, you know, he probably told me I'm going to be a comedian. That's so cool. Yeah. Now, now do, you, do you dig playing Vegas? I love Vegas. I have actually added it up. I've spent uh, three years of my life there in week inc- increments. What makes it so great? Because everyone says it's, there's a lot of shows. You're doing a lot of shows right over there. Now, what why, what do you love? Just the crowds or just the feeling or just that whole well, What's the challenge? Process? You know, there's no, there's no, the only pulse you have is the fact that most of them lost money. They're from everywhere else in the country. And the, the good news is, is because I, I call into so many different radio markets, I get lots of fans from all these markets. They would never pay to see me in their own hometown. But in <laughs> Vegas, like, oh, you must be somebody, you know. But so that's cool. I, I don't know why. I just I've always loved Vegas. I, I used to go there as a child. My parents, we grew up in West Covina. And that was actually a vacation. And they would bring the kids before it was hip to bring the kids. Okay. Now, have you ever, uh, do you see a lot of people from, your high school come to your shows or yeah i always get somebody uh in fact uh, the the lady who at the time was a girl uh my first kiss uh she she just moved there with her husband and kids and i took her to the homecoming dance and she came to the show uh the last time i was there that must be crazy and that's really funny because i mean people just they know your name and it's like i mean 
it's you're one of those people that has fans. I always crack up on Facebook as people who have been doing comedy for like two years say, oh, I, I did a show and 12 of my fans showed up. I'm like, no, they're not yeah. fans, they're friends. Right. You know, have you had any, any fans just been like crazy towards you? I have some weird ones, yeah. Like, but, well, do they we, send you weird stuff? Or well, what oh, yeah, I do actually. I have one guy that makes stuff and sends it to me, which is kind of weird. I'll be selling that off on eBay. Exactly. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever get a good hookup? Like, uh, they, they give you like a first class or flight or anyone that says, oh, we know you. Is that ever? No, I, you know, I actually fly Delta, so I get upgraded anyway. I'm close to 2 million miles this year with them alone, so I'm kind of in the elite club. But what is really funny is when I go through TSA, I get recognized by TSA agents, and my legal name is on my driver's license. And they'll be looking at my driver's license goes, hey, Bob Zaney, how you doing? And they just let me go through. I'm going, you do know that's a different name on the license. <laughs> we have about uh, five minutes left, Bob. Uh, what would you like to talk about? Well, I mean, this contest. I think uh, I have a shot at this thing. Why not? Now, I was nominated three times for the American Comedy Award for Best Male Stand-Up Comedian, which, if you think about it, means I lost three times. <laughs> it's George went, Slater, right? Yeah, George no, Slaughter. George Slaughter yeah. yeah, and George has actually been on the podcast. Great stories. It's talking about how they would cast in the old days where it wasn't a bunch of people. It was him. You know, he told me, you know, Goldie Hawn walked in the office and he said, you're hired. He had no idea what he was going to do with her, but he saw a talent. You know what I mean? Right. And then uh, also I was a semifinalist on Star Search, which means I was two and a half minutes away from the hundred grand. And I beat Carrot Top on Star Search, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, him and I become friends. His name is Scott. And he's done some things for me. He's been on my podcast. And he shows the clip on his live show at the Luxor in Las Vegas. Of, of me beating him on Star Search, and then this thing comes across and says, fuck. But it's just, you know, I, 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 I watched the show the first time. I've seen him five times now. It's, a, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. He's so good. And I said, well, Scott, I'll, I'll, I'll write some jokes for you if you want. And I sat through the show, and I, at the end of the show, I had like two notes because I w- it was that good. I was, there's nothing to improve upon. Well, his, his jokes, they, they're, they're all crafted well. I mean, and he, it's like, it's the, He's a pro. Yeah, they say the props, but it's like they all make sense. So it's not like he's going, hey, you know, like the things. And he has to be in that mind to actually make the stuff. Just, you know, it's. Oh, no, he's, he, he's a genius at what he does. And uh, in fact, though, when he first started out, there was a big controversy because he was kind of. I was a prop comedian for about probably 10 years. And he was doing, and I, I knew all the other prop comics, you know. And someone, one of them called me up and said, this kid's still in our act. And I had this joke where I would just hold up the cord from the phone and I called it the phoneless cord. And I did it on like seven TV shows, and he was doing it at the time, right? And I said, well, you know what? Just let's write another joke. I'm not going to get busy with this. And I write an article for the Forum magazine from Phi Kappa Phi. That's the smart person's fraternity, which really proves they're not very smart if they have me write a column. (laughs) But I've been doing it for like three years, and I wrote an article about that in it. And I, and, I, and I asked for his permission, and he was cool with it. I told that story, and I said, and we, we still talk on the phoneless court all the time. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, so I got a lot of stuff going on. The movie, the documentary is a great thing. The one comment I get, I, Coop, what I get out of the documentary is people say, if you really want to be a comedian, you should watch this and see my journey. Your journey is going to be different, but just see what I had to go through to get to wherever I am, you know? So that's a cool thing. And the contest, just, you know... Tell your friends, Facebook it, Twitter it. I'm going to Facebook it. You, you know, you're not on Facebook a lot. No, I am on Facebook. In fact, I'm uh, on Twitter, at Bob Zaney, and then a lot of my tweets go to Facebook. I have a Facebook fan page. You can check that out. A lot of photos of celebrities that over the years. I, the website, I just set up a thing called Photographs and Emotional Scars, so it's pictures of me uh, throughout the years. There's a picture of Sam Kinison and I at the Comedy Awards in 1988. I'm twice the size of Sam, to give you an idea how big I was. Well, that's crazy. You can check that out. And then I have a YouTube channel. It's YouTube slash Bob's 80 Videos. And I have the original show, Baggage Claim, the talk show, where I run into comedians. And I interview them while we wait for our bags. And Norm McDonald's on the first episode. And David Allegrier is part one and part two, because that's how long we had to wait. That's so great. a lot of stuff going on, but uh, the contest is a really big thing for me, and I really had a great time. Thank you very much. Oh, now you have your, you have your merch here on your website too. The merch, yeah, I got the merch uh, right now. I'm just down to the the t-shirts and the the CD available now. Is I just can't win, baby. Live from Las Vegas. It's a great CD. Laugh.com actually is the one to produce that. You can get it through there too. And I'm going to get them all set up for downloads. And Jordan Brady is going to be downloading the the close but no cigar thing. He's setting that up for me so people right. can get. 
Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you it was very a pleasure much. Pleasure meeting you. This Apologize for being late. It's not. Oh, no, it's, it's very fine. unprofessional. It's fine. No, this traffic. But I want to the, thank the, the traffic. The thing with the kids. Exactly. It's sorry. Okay. People, uh, follow. Go to bobzany.com. Follow me. Uh, Cooper Talk at Cooper Talk on Twitter. Go to coopertalk.net. I have I think like two hundred and seventy nine episodes up on there. Wow. And uh, or iTunes. Or I'm Stitcher. exhausted just hearing that number. Well, that's crazy. And yeah, I can't wait to hit a hundred. Or or go to the URA if you have a. Uh, Android device. Uh, the, go to the Google Play Store and just type in Cooper Talk One Word. I have a free app. I have all my shows on there. I don't have any live shows showing up, but uh, Jordan Brady's live show with me is up on my website. And a very it's called Cooper Talk Bootleg. And yeah, go to YouTube. That'll be going up in the next three days. The actual video of it. See, so, yeah, I want to thank my guest Bob Zaney. Go to his website. Vote for him. BobZaney.com. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. Follow me on Twitter. Send me an email, cooper.talk at yahoo.com. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You have a great weekend.